The Fanfic Writers Craft is a podcast that discusses all things fanfiction with a focus on the art and science of writing for the enjoyment of fan communities. My name is Joe, aka Pebbly Sand, and I'll be your host for the next hour or so. My co-host, Lani, writes online under the name Copper Dust. You'll meet her shortly. In this episode, we talk about romance in fanfiction. We explore what defines romance as a genre, and how it differs from platonic love and sexuality. We also discuss the concepts of OTPs, and whether a story can be romantic without being about romantic love. Lenny shares some of her favourite romantic quotes from original fiction, and we dive into which story elements we consider most important in writing romance. We also offer some advice on writing kissing scenes using tropes and pacing. But for now, buckle up, get yourself a nice cup of tea, and welcome to Fanfic Writers Craft. Hello and welcome to the Fanfic Writers Craft. This is Joe. I hope you're all doing well. I am with Lani today. We've had a really lovely day in Dublin today, so that was really nice. I had a day in the park. Uh, but how are you? How's things? Um, I'm soon going to see my parents again after they abandoned me for Florida for several months. What else? Yeah, so as I've said to you before the episode, there's been utter weather chaos in Toronto. We're going to have snow this week. Last week, it went up to 36 degrees, which if you're an American, that's like hot in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's just, just utter chaos right now. How are you, Joe? I'm good. Yeah, I've been, I as I said, uh, had a nice time in the park today just like hanging out with friends uh and getting coffee and like petting dogs which was really lovely uh but yeah I've been feeling really tired from work this weekend so I didn't write anything which I feel a bit bad about uh but I did write like 12,000 words last weekend so you know it kind of balances yeah. uh but yeah I was um yeah I, I've been I've been working on castles a lot um so like the past couple of weeks so it's a uh, it's been great um but yeah have you ha- have you written anything lately yeah I've been sort of circulating between my many different works in progress and um adding a little bit to each one so I've been writing a lot but I'm not necessarily like ready to post anything but i have if you add it up cumulatively all the writing i've done it is actually a lot yeah no fair enough and i've even gone back to some of my really abandoned works like in search of mythical kings i'm thinking of releasing another chapter even though i told people it was abandoned <laughs> but now i'm feeling like feeling like i'm ready to go back a little bit no but that's good i yeah like i think for me things are never really truly abandoned they're just like put to the side until i feel like i can reasonably take them further so um yeah maybe that's what it is um so anyway today we were thinking of doing an episode on romance in fan fiction and um, as you maybe know last year we did an episode on shipping perhaps adjacent kind of topic uh but we kind of wanted to do something a bit more about like i think that episode that we did on shipping was very much about like the art of shipping in fan fiction and you know the the way that we ship people and the way that sort of fan fiction culture around it and so in this episode about romance we kind of wanted to talk more about writing how to write romance what do we think is romantic Mm -hmm. and sort of maybe give advice on that note so you know kind of tackling writing and romantic content and uh, seeing where that takes us so i was wondering kind of like to open the discussion what 
how do you define romance and and specifically you know kind of the feeling of it and the genre of romance like do we think it differs from just writing about platonic love or do we think it differs about writing like smut and sexuality and things like that i think it differs from both of those but it's it's so hard to explain because to me when a romantic feeling is different from a sexual feeling i think sexuality is almost more rooted in your physical body kind of like hunger whereas romance it's very much a mental thing a cognitive thing Thing, but then, you know, then how does that differ from the feeling of platonic love? It's it's such a slippery concept. It's it's so hard to nail down, you know, when when something is romantic but not sexual, but also not platonic, like what does that mean? What is that? I think for me, what makes something romantic as opposed to either sort of platonic love or smut is there's a kind of idealism that has to exist in that scene where you are sort of talking about love mm. and and setting it in a in a in a way that is a little removed from the typical mundane realities of the world regardless of where you're physically setting it um i think i, I think about sort of courtly love and chivalry and these kind of ideals we have about love that you know it's true maybe real life love doesn't always live up to them but in the moment that something feels romantic, it feels a little bit removed from mundane daily life and it feels quite idealized and, and special and different. So kind of building on that, do you think that romance is necessarily unrealistic? I don't think romance is unrealistic because, I mean, it does happen in real life. <laughs> Um, I, I just think that the feeling that you are having in the moment of something being romantic is that you've sort of transcended from the profane to the sacred. So it's almost a religious kind of feeling, right? It doesn't mean that you're denying the reality of living in the real world, but in that moment, everything, everything around you that normally feels a certain way feels kind of different and special. And it's about perception of the world, you know? It's not that a romance has to be set in like a castle in France or like a vineyard. It's that the shitty bus stop you're at in January that's surrounded by dirty snow becomes kind of different and sacred and you perceive it entirely differently when you're in a moment of romance. Yeah, I definitely think that's true. I've been writing uh, with castles. Do I, can I say this? Will the chapter be out by the time this episode comes out? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but we'll bleep it out if it's not... <laughs> Um, so this is Joe from the future. The chapter is not out and therefore you will not get any details on that. But I did finish writing the chapter and I think I'm definitely playing with that with the chapter of like having both sort of spectacular settings and that being romantic as well as very sort of mundane settings that feel romantic because of the circumstances and the way they are and experienced by the character. So yeah, I think it's a it's definitely a mixture of both. But yeah, you will not get more information from me because this chat this uh, episode is coming out on the 12th of May and I don't think the chapter will be fully edited yet. I have finished writing it, which is more of an update than what I had at the start of the episode, but uh, it's not edited yet. So you guys will have to wait. And I think it's almost the exact diametric opposite feeling of what being depressed feels like, which is, you know, a place that is normally maybe perceived as neutral is 
to your mind all kinds of horrifying and awful, even though you're aware that it isn't objectively like that. And yet when you're in a feeling of romance, it's exactly the opposite. So it's it's how you are perceiving the world around you. Yeah. So how do you think that relates to like writing? I mean, r- romance is complicated to write because you've got to have two characters minimum where both of them are really interesting and lovable. I really can't stand any kind of romance where one of the characters is a bit weak. I don't mean physically weak, but weak like no one's really interested in that character or like they only love one of the characters in the relationship like you have to have two really strong characters because while they love each other the audience Mm -hmm. actually has to love both of them yeah definitely and i think we're coming back to character but yeah i definitely agree i um Mm -hmm. do you so one of the questions that we have for discussion is do we think that a story can be romantic without romantic love being involved Uh, why don't you go first because I think we're going to reach a point of disagreement, but I'd like to hear your answer to this. <laughs> well, no, I said I said I don't think so. I think it depends how you define romance, right? And and what is considered romantic. So, of course, it, you know, r- romanticism is an artistic movement in and of itself. And if you're going to look at that, like, of course, not every aspect of that was, like, about romantic love. So if that's your definition and if you're building on like kind of art history and, and literature history, then that's, you know, that's a different thing. But I think for me, like if I'm writing a romantic story or if I'm writing, you know, something that feels romantic, it needs, it needs to feature romantic love or else I wouldn't call it that. It doesn't, I wouldn't use the word romantic to refer to something that doesn't contain romantic love, I don't think. Um, I, I can see how a lot of people might, because a lot of people think there's, like, a romantic mood in which, like, you know, there's, like, rose-tinted glasses where, like, you're, you're seeing something and it's just, like, romantic. But I think in fiction and the way I think about it in fiction is... If I'm writing something romantic, it's about romantic love. If I'm writing something about platonic love, or if I'm writing something about, like, you know, something else, then that's... I would use a different word, but I don't think I would use the word romantic. I think... I I like that you mentioned romanticism as an artistic movement, and, I mean, technically you could call something romantic, like, if it's sort of in dialogue with that idea of romanticism from the 19th century and kind of, um, you know, the landscape that's not picturesque, but it's sublime and there's a kind of wild, savage beauty to it. And I, I mm. for me, I'm, I'm, I'm more of somebody who, who does very much write in response to and engaging with art history. And um, I, I would say that all of my stories are romantic, even though most of them are not about what like dating or what you might think of as like a romantic relationship because I think like as a person I am a romantic in that um my natural attention is drawn to those scenes of kind of like savage sublime beauty and you know that's why I don't write so much about let's say you know the wedding and baby type stories because to me that's that's more pic- picturesque and it's it's not romantic to me i like scenes that are more you know that's the wild beauty type of scenes and mm. i think if you look at my stories that do actually have like literal romance as most people understand it in them that's where you'll find the most kind of classical like well classical would be 
not the right movement. <laughs> but you'll find the most kind of capital R, like 19th century mm. romantic scenes where you'll find like literal, literal scenery in there that, you know, belongs in one of those paintings. Yeah. And I think that's coming back to certain extent because there's this whole trend. I know you're not on TikTok, but there's this whole t- trend on TikTok of like romanticizing your life. And, you know, these, like, TikTok girlies who are, like, going around their life and, you know, it's, like, a pretty montage of images and, you know, that the, they're, like, little iced coffee in the morning and whatever. And it's it's a trend, like, at the moment of, like, romanticizing your life, um, which I kind of get, but I feel that for me as a writer, I don't think of that as romance. Like, I think of that as picturesque or, you know, trying to you know, see life differently or whatever. But I wouldn't use that word, I don't think, to kind of talk about that sort of feeling. I guess I I would bring it back to this idea of romance as having something in it that is beautiful, but in a wild or savage or untamed way, Mm. rather than in a domesticated and, and, and nice way. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think, yeah, I think there's definitely like a sort of spectacular idea of romance and like there's something I don't think picturesque is the right word but yes there's something very big Mm -hmm. about it it's like you know it's not the daily kind of mundane things of marriage or whatever it's like the big romance and I kind of get that but it needs to contain romantic love because I think that feeling is such it's something that's so attached to romantic love that yeah, that's just the way I see it. But do you think there's like romantic fix where they're centered on like one single character rather than a relationship between two people? I'm so like not sure how I feel about that. I'm like radically maybe, maybe, maybe not. Like, cause like also like is unrequited love romantic? Like on one level, yes, it's the most romantic kind of love. On the other level, functionally not because (laughs) the romance does not exist like is romance is unrequited love romantic like yes um, i think and then what about what about a person who maybe doesn't have someone they're in love with but the person themselves is very much a, a romantic and you can see that somebody just needs to come along like i mean when i think of a character who is a romantic even before she even meets anybody that she's attracted to would be someone like anne shirley from anne of green gables where you know, even like as an 11 year old child, this is somebody who's like already sees herself as the main character in like a very dramatic play and like very much has main character syndrome. And there's a really funny scene in the first book where she's by herself on this little like, uh, like a little rowboat and she's pretending to be Ophelia from ha- Hamlet, you know, drowning in the water and has like a very elaborate fantasy that she's conducting with herself. And then um, the boat tips over and she almost actually drowns. And then she gets saved by Gil- Gilbert Blythe, who ends up becoming, you know, the other romantic lead. But she's very angry with him because she thought the idea of, of like her drowning while being Ophelia was like incredibly romantic. And he came around and he ruined it by saving her life and like interrupting her beautiful scene but of course it's like also dramatic irony because as the reader you know that like they have you know romantic feelings for each other so there's like so many levels of of comedy and romance in this scene so yeah i mean i think maybe maybe not but i'd like to hear your your thoughts on this 
I'm glad you brought up unrequited love because, for full disclosure, Lani prepared the doc and I didn't really see how, like, <laughs> one person, I didn't really understand the question, to be honest. I was like, how could one thing, uh, one person, like, something be romantic about, like, without being in, about a relationship? But I think even when you're doing, like, unrequited love, it is about a relationship. Like, you know, I've been on this, uh, rewatch of The Good Wife. And for anyone who has watched The Good Wife, like, there's a really big dimension of unrequited love there. And it's just like, so yes, I think in that way, I can see the romance in that because obviously, like, that is about romantic love as well. And that is a part of romantic love, whether we like it or not. But yeah, I think like, romance, sure, there's characters that fall into that category of like being hopeless romantics and stuff. And, and maybe it's just because I'm not a romantic person. Like, just generally speaking, I'm not really someone who's particularly romantic. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely char- character tropes of, you know, characters being very romantic uh, in their outlook on life and this kind of energy that you were talking about Um, but so yeah I guess that could be romantic if you stretch it like sure Uh, I I I think also it can be a source of comedy when somebody clearly wants to live inside a romance but isn't so a character like a character like Gilderoy Lockhart he perceives his life as being like an epic romance we don't see it that way but like he definitely feels like and you know that he feels like he's just waiting for that other character to step on stage who's gonna fall in love with him and like fall over him and whatever and so like you know you do find these characters who are romantics that don't actually have anybody else who either they specifically want to be with or who want to be with them and yet they still going (laughs) go around sort of feeling like it's about to happen like any moment now (laughs) so i i think that can be really funny and i think also isn't that kind of like the bridget jones's diary thing where she's just she just so so ready to have like an adorable romance and yet she goes on like a million failed dates and it's not really working out yeah i think but i think it's interesting that you bring that up because i think there's like a really big element as well of comedy in romance as well because i think and it and it's true like you know there's this cliche of like you know if you make people laugh you know it's the most attractive thing in the world and I think I do think there's some truth to that and so there is definitely some sort of overlap between like comedy and romance and that's why like romantic comedies are a genre in and of themselves so yeah I think there's definitely like kind of an overlap there and an interesting dynamic that you can explore if you want to it's not something that I would know how to write I think uh, but but it's definitely a genre and it's definitely like something that is uh, fun that is fun to watch at least uh, so yeah so kind of going more into the sort of fan fiction idea of it all <laughs> how do we feel about the concept of the OTP which for those who are, have been living under a rock for the last 15 years means one true pairing I feel like I never really understood what the number one meant because it doesn't mean that you are you can only have one OT like one pairing that you love like out of all fandoms put together or like does it mean that you have only one pair you can love per fandom or does it simply mean that for each that for any individual otp you have 
you believe that those people could not possibly be with anyone else. Like what, what is the one me? Like, I, I guess I don't, I don't really understand because I constantly hear from people talking about their one true pairings. Uh, yeah. And it just seems like you don't have one. I don't know about other people. I think for me, so, and for context, like I know a lot of people who have read my work on Potter will be surprised and Justin Potter will be surprised about this, but I used to write like, really shippy content like I used to I was a reader of shippy content I was a writer of shippy content so I definitely get but I think for me it was more I don't think I have like one OTP but I think there a lot of the time like if you've been in different fandoms there's often like one pairing or two maybe that you feel very strongly about like there's other like that they have to be together you mean yeah that they have uh, not necessarily that they have to i think yes but that gets more into the like shippiness of it all like you know they have to be together but i think it's more about like you know there's one or two relationships like romantic relationships where you're like I'm really relating to this and I really, you know, that's like my one true pairing that I want to hear about, read about and talk about and write about forever. I, I, that's the way I just, that's the but way. it never ends up being forever and it never <laughs> ends up being just one. <laughs> I think that's the way I kind of see it. But yeah. Yeah, I guess for me, like, certainly there are certain fandoms and stories where I really would love these two characters to be together. But I just, I just don't understand, like, what is the difference between an OTP and just shipping two people? I guess that's, that's the issue. I, no, I get it. It's like, you know, for, for me, for instance, as I said, I've been rewatching The Good Wife and I'm watching, like, for anyone who's watched The Good Wife, I'm watching, like, Will and Alicia and I'm like, oh my God, you know, I really feel it. Whereas, in Potter, I've never had that. Like, there's there's parents that I like. Like, I like writing Harry and Ginny, but I could be persuaded about different things. I like I like writing like Seamus. I loved writing Seamus and Dean, but I could also see them as like a platonic sort of relationship. So I don't really. There's no like one couple in Harry Potter where I feel very strongly about them, whereas. In other fandoms, I've definitely felt that before of like, oh, there's one pairing that I feel like super strongly about. And it's not necessarily like about them being endgame, although that might be a factor, but it's also just about being obsessed with that one relationship and wanting to explore everything about it. And wanting to sort of explore that dynamic and only that dynamic. I usually feel that more about platonic friendships than romances like mm. there's often for me more stuff i'm interested in, in in a platonic friendship and i'm not sure why but often i i feel more flexible with romantic relationships around like i could look at this one or i could look mm. at a different one i definitely feel like that about about hb as i said but there's other shows where i've had like more sort of opinions about things uh but i was wondering so you kind of prepared very kindly mm -hmm. a list of sort of your favorite uh quotes and from original fiction and so i was wondering if you wanted to talk about that and kind of unpack mm -hmm. these yeah so these are some of my favorite quotes that i consider to be very romantic um i tried to find some from fan fiction but i often find like it's hard Sometimes a scene is really romantic, but it's really hard to pull out one or two sentences that you could remove from context that would still be romantic. 
Whereas mm-hmm. these quotes I find, they're just devastating to me. <laughs> so the first one is very, very popular on Tumblr already. And what's interesting about it is a lot of people who are not familiar with the source context still love this quote because there's something about it that is so romantic that you can remove it from its context entirely and it still works. And it's from uh, the Arestia, which is a play. So it's, it's written in kind of uh, script format. So Pilates says, I'll take care of you. Orestes says, it's rotten work. Pallades says, not to me, not if it's you. And that was um, Anne Carson's translation of a story that comes from multiple ancient Greek playwrights we won't get into. I definitely was one of those people who found this work not knowing the context, not knowing the story or who these characters were, and still found it like really incredible. There are so few, I think, romantic quotes that still work even if you have no idea who the characters are or what the context is and yet something about this i don't know it still works some people are gonna comment and, and point out that Pallades and orestes are cousins and they are but they are also lovers and it's fine it's ancient greece like let's let's just just go with it um <laughs> I just love this quote. I mean, I'll take care of you. It's rotten work. Not to me. Not if it's you. I like the way that, like, they're not saying it directly, but they're saying I love you, but not directly or explicitly. And they're using, they're almost using really negative language as a euphemism for really positive language. I, you know what? It's funny because, um, as you were talking and, 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 pointing out that there are certain things that even out of context can be romantic. Do you remember, this was years ago, Mm -hmm. but that big, and I'll try to find it again and link it in the show notes for anyone listening, but there was this like John Green quote from Looking for Alaska, which was like something, it was a paragraph, but it was like him describing just wanting to like lay down next to someone and not like just sleep next to someone. And it was, it was doing the rounds in ways that like, you know, most people wouldn't have been familiar with the story. Um, yeah. So this is Joan from the future. I thought, even though I wish I had found that quote prior to the episode so that Lani could have uh, reacted to it. But I thought I would still uh, read it out loud because I think there's something about that quote that really resonated with a lot of people. And obviously it's beautifully written and it's, it's very teenage as, you know, John Green writes young adult, but I just, I really really enjoy um that quote and i think it's very interesting that it was so popular and it resonated with so many people and i think there's something there's something to see in that and maybe towards the difference between like romance sexuality and platonic love as well um so this is the quote i wanted so badly to lie down next to her on the couch to wrap my arms around her and sleep not fuck like in those movies not even have sex to sleep together in the most innocent sense of the phrase. But I lacked the courage and she had a boyfriend and I was gawky and she was gorgeous and I was hopelessly boring and she was endlessly fascinating. So I walked back to my room and collapsed on the bottom bunk, thinking that if people were rain, I was drizzle and she was hurricane. I remember it doing the rounds and yeah, it it was romantic. Like it was definitely Mm -hmm. a romantic extract, even if you didn't do it. Romantic extract makes it sound like vanilla. (laughs) No, but it was it was really romantic, even if you didn't know the characters. Mm-hmm. And it's funny because I remember I saw the quote prior to having read mm-hmm. uh, "Looking for Alaska," and then 
I, I read the book and I was kind of disappointed by the actual context of the quote. And it's, it's, it's funny how, like, you know, you, you, and it's not that it wasn't romantic in the book, like it was romantic in the book, but it felt less romantic in the book than it did out of context on Tumblr, which I think is kind of funny. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's so interesting how stuff changes depending on whether you recognize the context or not. I mean, I've certainly seen some quotes on Tumblr and then later I read the actual work and I was like, man, that had a different meaning within this context. Then, then outside of it, you know, it's like you think I understood the words, so I understood what it means. But it's like, no, it really, it really does mean something within context. The next quote I want to share is describing um, what Alexander the Great, as a teenager, says to his friend Hephaestion. And just for some context, when they mention that he's speaking Macedonian, what they mean is that like the language they typically those two typically would have spoken with each other would have been Koine Greek, which was kind of the higher language, like the more sophisticated, high status language that people of the upper classes would speak, whereas Macedonian is would have been like Alexander's first language and more intuitive to him, but a more lower class language, not an official type of language. So that that this context matters for the sentence you're about to hear. Once in the dark, he had murmured in Macedonian, you are the first and the last, and his voice might have been charged with ecstasy or intolerable, intolerable grief. And that's from Fire from Heaven by Mary Renat. I just find this quote just, I'm just, oh my God. And it comes from an even larger context of about a few paragraphs that are incredibly romantic, but I didn't want to quote something too long. The phrase charged with ecstasy or intolerable grief is like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know. But I, I, I also really, I really love that she mentions that he says it in Macedonian because it's like he's not using his sophisticated or educated voice. Like he's using mm. his first language, which is this kind of rough, low class dialect. And there's such an intimacy to that. I just love it. Yeah. I like the, the line, like sentence level sort of ecstasy and intolerable grief. I like that. But I think it's interesting how both of those quotes have this element, and I think this is like these, the essence of romance, but it's kind of like this element of it's about you. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's about you as a person, and it's this, or, or the character, but you know, this kind of exclusivity, and this kind of like, you are special, and this is what I, why I love you. Like, I feel like there's kind of that dimension to romance that is kind of present in both of those quotes of very much wanting to be seen. I think as humans, you know, we want to be seen, and I think those two quotes are like, you are the first and the last, you know, it's, it's, this sort of dimension of of be it being about a particular character and being a particular a unique kind of you are unique and I love you just the way you are kind of thing, but it's also I think that's what resonates with the masses at large because that's something that everybody wants you know from a romantic sort of interaction. The other thing that strikes me about these two quotes, as well as the third one that I'm going to share, is that they all combine romance with a kind of grief or darkness. There's a there's a darkness to all of them. And um, mm -hmm. the second one actually mentions in the dark. And the next one I'm going to read 
also begins by mentioning darkness. So I think this might say something about me personally, like what I find romantic is always, again, like what I mentioned before, having a touch of that <laughs> savage or, or, or violent beauty that there's something kind of dark about it. Um, so this last quote, I think anyone who's ever been on Tumblr will also know it. Uh, this is from the Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller. In the darkness, two shadows reach through the hopeless heavy dust. Their hands meet and light spills in a flood like a hundred golden urns pouring out pouring out the sun. So once again, you know, there there has to be this kind of like violence to it for me to find it romantic. Like I don't I don't know, there's there's a darkness to it that um I think is like really actually central to the romance. I I think it's so interesting to have you talk about these because I think it really shows like what kind of writer you are and what kind of reader you are as well and I see also like the way I approach things might be a bit different because I was kind of rereading Sick from The Good Wives and I noted the quote here and it's romantic to me and I think that's like it's romantic to me but it might not be romantic to other people and I think and there's a lot less like visuality about it and there's a lot less you know grandiosity about it it's more you know kind of something that's more subdued and more mundane and I just I find it kind of interesting that you know I think that and that's something that you might want to keep in mind if you're trying to write romances it's very personal mm-hmm. like it is it is about what you like and and it's also about you know mm-hmm. what what you th- feel is romantic and so you're going to relate to certain things that you feel are romantic that might not be romantic uh, to other people but this is a quote from here's mm-hmm. your here's a map of your name for a capital by Laura Rice Flair and she says in the bedroom in the half dark he tugs off her sweater finds a silk tank underneath he wonders when they became these expensive people, layer after layer to peel back. I first read that thick like 10 years ago. And that quote has been like imprinted in my brain since then. Because this sort of like when they became expensive, pe- these expensive people layer and after layer to peel back has just been like, I don't know. And there's something so, you know, very typical about it and very mundane about it but for me yeah but joe joe i'm gonna point out your quote once again uses the word dark yes within like the first five words (laughs) (laughs) so i mean even as you're saying oh it's not like that like it completely is especially because i think when he says when they became these expensive people, there's almost a critical or judgmental element, right? Yeah. Like he seems like he's becoming a bit self-critical and that 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 criticality to me is still part of that kind of darkness that I'm referencing. Yeah, maybe. I think yeah, definitely like there's something romantic about dark and I think that's like I don't think that's universal, but it probably applies to a lot of people. Uh, but I think, you know, even the writing is different. And like, especially the Madeline Miller quote is very picturesque and it's very strong. And it's, you know, it's got like, it's got like this image that's very powerful. And, and the wording, the way the wording, like, it's almost poetry. Do you know what I mean? I think, and maybe there's like an overlap there between romance and poetry as well, which obviously like those two genres mm-hmm. are very, you know, interconnected. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you know what, I'm going to share a quote. This is a, from a story that I wrote, which I think is romantic in a very different way. And maybe more in the way that appeals to you in that it's, 
more mundane and less dark. But this, I really like this kind of little three or four sentences that I wrote. So this, the context of this is um, Lily and James are in the bathroom. They've just been like brushing Harry's like single tooth, his his little baby, like one tooth that he has in his mouth together. Yeah, yeah, we've heard this before. Lily gestured at James to get out of the bathroom so she could use the toilet. She had this manner of waving him off like a dismissed chauffeur or footman that was condescending in the sexiest way possible, and he would never admit how much he liked it. Yeah, I like that. I very much like that. So it's, it's like, obviously a lot more lighthearted. Is that the kind of, like, mundane stuff that you find more romantic? Like, yeah, get out of the bathroom so I can use the toilet? <laughs> No, but yeah, I think it's, but I think it's more, it's more about like, it's not just about the setting, it's also the writing style, the sort of the way it's framed as well, and the the characters as well. But I think, yeah, I think that's romantic. I think that's romantic. I think what happens that I, that I liked in here is that, um, you know how you said what was in common between all my romantic quotes was this idea of you're special, like you're different. It's, it's just you. I think what, what's going on in here is that you know that like 99% of people would find a condescending gesture to be an unlikable thing and they would dislike her for doing this kind of thing. But he's like the one person who likes that she acts like this. Yeah. So it's it's that you're different, you're special kind of energy. And so what do you think are the most, like, kind of building on that, the most essential elements of and important elements of romance? So do you think it's, like, plots, characterization, setting, dialogue, narrative voice? Um It's got to be characterization first. Mm. What, do you, what do you think? I agree. If your characters uh, yeah. are shit, then, like, why do I... <laughs> I don't want to see that unless I love these characters, you know? Yeah. No, definitely. I think... I'm trying to think there was, like, there's one... You know, um... Have you read The Hunger Games? No, but I've seen the movies. Okay. I find Katniss unbearable. Like, I just... In the book... In the books, I find her unbearable. And so, her entire plot line of, like, who is she going to choose between the two guys, just... Like, I could not focus. I could not give... Like, I could not care... Because I just find her so unbearable as a character. So I think, yes, like, obviously, if your characters don't, if you don't relate, you know, if, if your characters are not people who the reader can relate to, um, then that's probably going to ruin your romantic set, your, your romantic scene or your romantic story. Mm-hmm. But I think that's, I think that's less, probably less of a problem in fan fiction because your characters are just there. Like you, you need obviously to not be out of character, but you know, that mm-hmm. in fan fiction, particularly, I think characterization is a little bit done for you already. But how do you feel about, like, narrative voice? Like, how important is that to you in making something romantic? Like, some people hate first person, and especially in romance. I don't mind. I I don't really have an opinion. I don't find it particularly romantic either way. Like, I don't think... I don't think there's any narrative voice that is 
more romantic than another one. I think it really depends what you do with it. Like, you know, some 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 people are very capable of writing romance first person and some people aren't. And I don't think I think it really depends what you do with narrative voice. I think there is a little bit of a stigma in fan fiction, at least in the fan fictions that I like the fandoms that I've been in about first person and writing first person. I think there's a little bit of like, you know, people not liking that. Uh, so maybe that's a fan fiction kind of specificity. Uh, but generally, I don't think there's anything precluding uh, romance in like narrative voice. Yeah, I think um, it's just getting back to like, you know how people are always sending us the, a version of the same ask, which is how do I do X, Y, Z without it being cringe? Mm-hmm. I think this is like getting back to that eternal ask, which is like, yeah, like your narrative voice can ruin a romantic scene if it's cringe, but I mean, it could also ruin any other kind of scene if it's cringe. <laughs> so, like, I mean, you can definitely do a first person romance, but I, I feel like the narrative voice that, ev- that everybody can't stand is the one that was, like, very popular amongst, like, vanilla female protagonists of 2000s YA. Like, the the Twilight main character voice, the kind of, like, generic girl who exists only to be, like, a reader insert. Mm. Like, that, that, that's the voice that nobody can stand. Yeah, so I'm gonna ask you this then, because I think, I think that's kind of building on to that. How do we feel about tropes? Because I feel like that voice, in and of itself, is almost a trope. It was almost a trope at one point. So, yeah, how do we feel about tropes, like romantic tropes in general? Um, I mean, romantic tropes aren't just fan fiction folk tropes. Like, these are tropes that go back thousands of years. And I mean, I think some romantic tropes are great and they never stop being great. Like, I think two people fall in love, but elements of the society they live them, they live in force them to be apart. That's an ancient trope, but that's like the best one. <laughs> And and it's it's the gift that keeps on giving, and we should never stop using it. Like it, it's it's that that trope is literally infinitely giving. Like you cannot exhaust the trope of like they're in love, but like stuff happens in society that makes them be apart. Yeah. But then there's like tropes that are highly specific to fan fiction. Like there was only one bed. Mm. Um, I think that some of the classic fan fiction tropes that go back to the '90s are kind of like. I'm so used to seeing them that I'm like, you know, they can be done well, they can be done badly, like, there's only one bed. Certainly I recognize that when, when it happens, I'm like, oh god, it's, it's this thing. But yeah. that doesn't mean it doesn't sometimes make me smile because I'm like, oh, this, this author pulled it off. You know, there's a nostalgic element to it as well. Yeah. You know, like here we go. Like there's yeah. <laughs> here we go. There was only one bed. No, but uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, I mean, I I would say there's some fan fiction tropes that personally like I really hate, like the fake dating or mm-hmm. forced marriage, that kind of yeah. stuff. I just I don't know. It's cringe territory for me. But I, I mean, how do you feel about? There's a more recent, like, 2010s era trope of, like, our alternate universe where it's a flower shop or a coffee yeah. shop or something of that nature. Mm. So I love the idea of it, especially if it's too... If it, if I love those fics when they tend towards, like, malicious compliance with the trope. So, like, I kind of like the idea of taking the trope and either making it so trope-y that it becomes not trope-y because 
you know, the author is doing it consciously and is doing it in like in an understanding, a shared understanding with the mm-hmm. reader, or you know, kind of like taking that trope and like, you know, they have a flower shop, but then the flower shop got, goes bankrupt and, you know, like, or like that kind or, of thing. Or, or like it's a flower shop in hell or something like yeah, that. Yeah, or something like that. And I kind of like that idea of taking a trope and like put either pushing it as far as you can and making it so like trophy and soapy um, you know that it kind of becomes funny or you know kind of subverting the trope and kind of taking the trope and and you know making it into something new I really like that idea I think it's really interesting as a writer to kind of play with that I've never done it but I would consider doing it if I had the time and the energy to put into something like this. Yeah, I would say I generally don't like that trope. I have seen a couple of people who have been able to make the high school or college AU work. It's super rare, though. It's it's incredibly rare that someone takes a mm. non-general high school setting and transports it to a high school setting and in any way does anything good with that. But I have, I have seen it happen. In general, I don't... Like, fundamentally, I don't like the idea of taking a story that's set in, like, a dramatic and interesting setting and being like, what if this, but we set it in a really mundane setting and lower the stakes <laughs> it's like that's not how storytelling works like like what if we made the consequences for mistakes really low and took away the stuff that made this memorable like i mean okay <laughs> yeah so i don't particularly like flower shop or coffee shop i use especially because none of them are ever aware of like the realities of running a small business <laughs> And have no sense of like what it would actually take to run a coffee shop or a flower shop. But see, I love it when I love it when it's done like that. Like when it's done by someone who knows how to run a small business, because then it's hilarious. Like it's like you know, I would love someone who actually has worked or like runs a flower shop to write a flower shop AU. Because I'm like, please do, because that would be. That would, like, I think that would be hilarious, to be honest. Yeah, and I've definitely seen, like, art school AUs where I've been like, that's not, that's not how any of that works. I I would love, I mean, probably not actually, but if I wrote one of those types of AUs, it would be an art gallery AU based on my experience, like, interning at an art gallery and actually seeing, like, the business elements and the finances and having the electricity turned off by the guy from Ontario Hydro when it was, like, February. That's definitely what I would play with, because I, I would want people to see, like, how fucking horrifying it is to try and run a small business like that with, like, a zero-profit margin. And then, I don't know, at some point someone falls in love with someone. <laughs> so what what advice would you give to somebody who wants to try writing romance for the first time? I think it really depends what you're writing, but the one advice that I would give if you're looking to do something that's longer or, you know, like kind of a long work or something is be careful with your pacing because the slow burn is amazing, but don't over slash underdo it. I've seen so many fix where it's like either they get together in like the blink of an eye and they're like what sorry like two months ago they didn't know each other (laughs) you know it's kind of it's kind of weird or Mm -hmm. you know you have these fix like like drag on for millions literally millions of words um and i think you know you have to kind of find the sweet spot 
and and take it to that to that place within a particular you know within a particular pacing i think so i'd say be careful with your pacing would be my main advice mm-hmm. i definitely agree if you're doing a slow burn then you know even if you're doing a slow burn you need to give readers little payoffs along the way before the big payoff mm-hmm. right like you need to give them little breadcrumbs to reward them for the fact that they keep going, right? It's like if you were hiding eggs for an Easter egg hunt, don't put all the eggs in one corner so that one child gets a ton of chocolate and everybody else gets nothing, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. like space out the eggs fairly so that everybody is motivated to continue playing. Um, yeah. That's, that's what I would say for pacing. Another piece of advice that I would give is that I think it really depends. Like romance is so dependent on like, societal norms around romance gender dating marriage sexuality like these things are culturally specific and i would say it can be really fun to write romance Mm -hmm. in a society that is sexually repressive so you know there's different kinds that it could be a homophobic society could be a society where just like Mm -hmm. premarital sex is absolutely taboo could be a society where people are not expected to choose their own partner all it could be it could be like a, a you know royalty where marriage is considered to be something political and not based on love like any any type of society that does not promote the idea of like people falling in love with people that they choose and getting to marry who they choose on the basis of actual love those can be really fun to write because they cause all kinds these like repressive social norms cause all kinds of problems and problems are what drives plot so in real life they suck to live in but in fiction life they mm-hmm. are really fun and i find in some ways it's easier to be romantic when you're writing in a context where it's not socially acceptable for two people to hook up as soon as they just feel like it because it promotes the slow burn when um, people don't have the option of just like going at the pace that they want right like if you think about you know before the 1960s you know obviously people are breaking social norms all the time but when premarital sex was really frowned upon there was kind of a zero to a hundred, mm-hmm. like either you were married or you were not married. And that creates all kinds of, I mean, I think mental health wise, it probably would have been a really weird society to live in and like not great for people's mental health. Um, but certainly very fun to play with as a writer. So like, for example, when I've written um, In Search of Mythical Kings, uh, which is begins being set in the 50s, um, I really play with this idea of like um, the main character, you know, having to be very modest and protect her reputation because that's what's valued and considered important. And this idea of marriage being something that is not just romantic, but like that's the sort of career and like she's expected to get married because that's who's going to be paying for her for the rest of her life. So there's just just playing with, um you know, the way that marriage can mean a lot in a society that's like before women's liberation. I don't know. That's that's what I would say. It's just playing with sexually repressive societies like romance could actually be very romantic because everything is so loaded and there's no room for mistakes. That's what can make it really fun. Yeah. And so we did get one uh, question from an anonymous source, uh, <laughs> which is. How do you write a kissing scene and how do you lead up to it? How do you build up to it? And how do you kind of go about it and phrase it? Which I think is very much 
you know, within the genre and within the realm of romance. I'm curious about what you're going to say, but the first piece of advice I would give is like, don't explain in physical terms exactly what a kiss is because everybody knows and it's like cringy to describe something that everybody already knows, right? So don't, don't literally explain what a kiss is. Like you just use the word kiss. And the other thing I would say is like, be really careful when you're describing like what somebody's mouth tastes like especially if you're comparing it to the taste of, like, food that the character has eaten in the previous scene, because, like, that can often be really, like, seem off-putting or disgusting. So if that's the vibe that you want, fine. But I'm just saying, like, if you don't want the scene to feel gross, then you should be careful about talking about, like, food in someone's mouth. Be conscious of the vibe. But, yeah, I, like, I, I don't disagree with that. Um, I think... I think the most important thing in writing a scene that's about, like, two characters kissing is actually the build-up to the kiss rather than the kiss itself. I think the way you bring those characters in that place, whether it is through dialogue, whether it is through, you know, something else going on, like, you know, they're, I don't know, they're running away from something and suddenly they just, like, finally find somewhere to hide and they just kiss. Um, it, but I think that's what you should focus on. Like, the actual writing of, like, they kissed doesn't need, as you said, to be very descriptive and it doesn't need to be particularly big or romantic. If you just want to say kiss, that's fine. You don't need to make it into a big thing. But I think the lead-up to it is something that you should really focus on and kind of prepare and 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 make sure that the tension and that like the yeah the tension between the two characters and, and they're just where you want them to be. I think that's to me that's the most important thing. I would also add that like there's this perception that the climax of a romance is when the two characters admit their feelings to each other and then they kiss. But I think that like imagine a scene where what they do when they admit their feelings to each other is not a kiss. Right? Like, how could you represent romance or intimacy in some other kind mm -hmm. of gesture? I just feel like because a kiss is what's expected, yeah. like, play with the idea of something else. Yeah. That's a very, that's a very good, uh, you know, because maybe, yeah. maybe depending on the story you're telling, either of these characters have already kissed, so it's not a big deal that they're going to kiss, or maybe there's something else that's in within the context of your story more intimate or interesting that you can use instead. Mm -hmm, definitely. Okay, well, Lani, this was a very interesting discussion. Uh, do you have any recommendations for us? Yeah, I would just recommend the texts that I've mentioned earlier in the story. And yeah, I would say, like, if you want to see fan fictions that have done romance well, like, read a lot of stories and bookmark the ones that you like, please. And thank you. Don't forget to bookmark. And then eventually you'll figure out what it is that you really enjoy. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm going to recommend, as I said before, um, a low rise flare on Life Journal because this is like back in the day. Uh, but I've just that's a different kind of romance. <laughs> but I've just kind of uh came back to come back to the the Good Wife fandom, and I was rereading their thick and just the level of writing in this writer is just insane like I find myself I realize that there's quotes from her works that have literally been in my head 
for years and I, I didn't I had forgotten the source and then I came back to those fix and I was like oh my god yes that's where it's from um just the the writing in in the writing that they were able to do is amazing so if you have ever watched The Good Wife even though you weren't in fandom or whatever I would highly highly recommend their work um okay Lani where can we find you online you can find me at copper-dust on AO3 and on Tumblr. And I am Pebbly Sand on AO3 and on Tumblr. If uh, you want to find the podcasts to give us feedback, suggestions for topics for next episode, our ask box is always open. You can find the podcast at thefanficwriterscraft.tumblr.com and if you want to help finance the podcast, you can head to co-fee.com forward slash thefanficwriterscraft. We do appreciate any and all donations and this allows us to pay for hosting. Thank you so much, Lani. This was lovely. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye.